on a blessedly cool early morning in late October 1837, after what had seemed an endless Washington summer, 70-year-old Congressman and ex-President John Quincy Adams, having recently returned to the nation's capital from his Massachusetts home, opened his morning newspaper. The advertisement he read in the National Intelligencer startled him. It was headed, Sale of Slaves. A mother and two of her children, the property of James H. Birch, a well-known slave dealer, were to be auctioned at four o'clock that afternoon by Edward Dyer, auctioneer and corn merchant. It riveted his attention. A man named Resin Ormy had incorrectly certified that five slaves he had sold to James Birch in August were sound in body and in mind. Soon after Birch purchased Dorcas Allen and her four children, the mother had murdered the two youngest in a fit of insanity, as found by the jury who consequently acquitted her. Birch now requested that Orme repay the $700 he had paid him for Allen, her four-month-old, seven-year-old, and nine-year-old girls, and a four-year-old boy. If Orme refused to repurchase the slaves, including the value of the two dead children, the mother and her two surviving girls would be offered to the public. Immediately putting down his newspaper, Adams went to see his brother-in-law and neighbor, Nathaniel Fry. I asked Mr. Fry what this advertisement meant. He seemed not to like to speak of it, but said the woman had been sold with her children to be sent to the South and separated from her husband, that she had killed, too, by cutting their throats, and cut her own to kill herself, but in that had failed that she had been tried at Alexandria for the murder of her children and acquitted on the ground of insanity, and that this sale now was by the purchaser at the expense of the seller upon the warranty that she was sound in body and mind. The seller was a local resident, Fry explained. His net worth had been badly reduced by the depression ravaging the country. Desperate to turn his assets into cash, he had sold Allen and her children to Birch. Dorcas Allen's trial and acquittal in early October had made national news. Preoccupied with his attempt to prevent the House of Representatives from excluding anti-slavery petitions and with the politics of the financial crisis, Adams missed the story. He soon learned more of the gruesome details. Horrible barbarity, the Alexandria Gazette had announced on August 24, 1837. On Tuesday night last, a black woman committed a most barbarous and unnatural murder by seizing and strangling her two infant children, one about four, the other about two years of age. She also attempted to murder her other two children, who are much older and stouter than the two killed, by beating them in the face and on the head with brickbats, by which they were horribly mangled. The dress and person of the unnatural mother herself clotted with gore, and the walls and floor of the room covered here and there with the blood of her innocent offspring. At her trial, Allen had claimed that she was not a slave. Was there any truth to that, Adams wondered? And how was it possible that the mother and her children were being resold when her acquittal on the grounds of insanity made her valueless as a slave? Was there some way to prevent the sale from occurring? Could the disagreement between Ormy, who refused to return the $700, and Birch, who wanted his money back, 
be straightened out in a way that redeemed Birch's investment without a sale, perhaps by a subscription that raised money to free Alan and her children. Were there any legal complications? What was the woman's status now? Probably, Adams thought. She was still a slave. But who would buy her after the acts she had committed? What potential purchaser would not worry that she might become violent again? John Quincy Adams had lived on and off in the nation's capital for much of the second half of his life. A U.S. Senator from 1803 to 1808, Secretary of State from 1817 to 1825, the sixth President of the United States from 1825 to 1829, and now a member of the House of Representatives. For six months of the year, he lived in slave-free Massachusetts, the rest in the northernmost large slave city in the country. Everyday life in